What's up, Lemon Souls? I'm here for episode 21. We're about to sit down with Gavin Michael Booth and hear about all things filmmaking. Not only does Gavin make films, but he also makes music videos and has worked with artists like Third Eye Blind, Vanessa Carlton, Our Lady Peace, and if you are up to date on popular music, a band called Simmel as well. And uh, I am just really lucky that Gavin took out some time from his very busy schedule to sit down with me on the podcast and kind of just, you know, dig a little deeper and look back on his past career and what it's about to be and what it could be and what it will be. Here we go. Please listen carefully. Oh, oh, okay. Well, Are you uh, yeah, let me let me put my <laughs> let me, uh, let me podcast voice on. Yeah, <clears throat> voice. Real professional, real professional. Well, welcome home. Thank you. I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times since you've been home in the last little while. No, most most people aren't happy to see me. It's fine. My I parents, would. you know. <laughs> I actually heard you say that on one of your interviews. Oh, it's from being young and rebellious and like always wanting to poke the bear. And then it doesn't, you know, the Windsor art scene is very, very small. So I was, <laughs> Everyone knows you know, everyone. And, and people linger on things for years and years where I would protest the Windsor Film Festival or run a, run a, like a, let's call it an adverse campaign for a music video. And it was, oh, Gavin's an attention whore. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, part of it I know is rooted in jealousy that I was willing to go out there and like make sure my career went somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then part of it is just a, a disagreement in styles of promotion, which is acceptable. But it doesn't mean we don't have to be friends. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's very true. It just happens. But and I so mean, those people, fuck them. It worked. Yep. And here we are. It's kind of like if you tweet something and fifty percent of people don't agree don't agree with you, you can't spend all your time trying to have individual conversations with people and saying, "No, no, no let's talk about where I'm coming from." And what yeah. it's just you got to say, "Who cares?" Yeah. If you believe in what you're doing, just do it. Have you always felt that way, or is the industry like? I guess you have to kind of feel that way when you're a shit disturber. I don't even know when the shit disturbing started. Well, I used to be a shit disturber in high school. I would constantly challenge teachers on dumb things. Mm -hmm. and Oh, you have to use a – I had an English teacher. You have to use a yellow duotang, and it has to be two-hole punch, and the margins have to be this and this and this. And I would always do it just off a little bit to see if she would even notice. I pictured you coming in with a red duotang. Oh, yeah, that, that too, holes. obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, stapled together, God forbid, that yes, it would change the art form of my essay. You know? <laughs> I understand they're trying to teach structure and things that are important when you go into careers and things. It's just so boring, so yeah. asinine. I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, I was always writing scripts in high school even and never doing my work. I had a teacher that would, like, take my pages and rip them in two oh. and put them in the recycle bin at the front of the classroom. And at the end of every classroom, I would get up, pick them up. <laughs> Taped them back together, and that ended up becoming the first script that I Stop, shot really? a movie for. Yeah, Stop, yeah. that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. So they're, you know, just just little silent protests at the time. A little rebellious. And then just, just grew little. into, like, living here in Windsor and thinking, like, fuck, nobody knows who I am. Nobody cares about these music videos or mm -hmm. these indie bands I'm working with. Like, what can we do? The, the one in particular that got a lot of uh, panties in a bunch, if we can still say that in 2019. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't say if there were men or women's panties. It's fine. Um it was a, a local band called uh, Intrameridian, and the video featured this sort of revenge story against these three ex-girlfriends that had broken his heart. So he's kind of a psychopath who kidnaps them, but doesn't like, doesn't towards, he ties them up, it's abusive, but he's basically just screaming and singing this song on their face saying, like, you're the one who broke me and have, like, held me back. The song was called Hold Back, Held Back. And uh, 
I, I took a cue from what the Blair Witch Project did, which was when they were at Sundance, they put up missing posters everywhere and, you know, just stealing from my heroes and did mm-hmm. it here in Windsor, which drove people mad because they thought young girls were being abducted and nobody nobody ever reads the fine print. So of they were course. like, university was starting extra walk safe programs. And Didn't they protest you? There was a group from the University of Windsor called the Action Girls, and they did protest me out on the street, but... Uh, what they didn't know at the time was I had one of their members was like an insider for me that was feeding me like, okay, they'll be here at this time. They'll be protesting you. They'll be carrying these kind of signs. Stop. So I was a huge, still am a huge Arrested Development fan. Yes. And they had a, there's a, an episode where George Michael goes to one of um, Anne's Christian book burning parties. <laughs> and he brings that, he doesn't really want to be there. So he just has the iffy gray area sign where he's just like, you know, uh, maybe it's just an iffy gray area. So I made a sign that iffy gray area. Oh, and that I brought, probably just set them right I off. I brought people too, down to protest their protest. And actually two of my like dear friends, <laughs> Stacy Janzer, who now works for CBC media and, and always helps like line up stories for my movies and press, like, you know, even, even for last call premiere, and my really like dear friend Mel, I met them both there. They they had me on. It was MySpace at the time, and they had me on there. And they're they're like, "You're protesting those girls. We want to come down and help. And we'll like, meet me at the Starbucks downtown. And we'll uh, oh sorry, rip Starbucks downtown. Um, but yeah, we were. They were just like that's how we became like the best of friends. Was they they just loved all the shit disturbing we were doing. Oh and and then they showed up at the at the bar, which was the the rock and roll club in town called the Chubby Pickle. Mm-hmm. My best friend. Sean Lippert owned it uh, and his business partner, they showed up to protest the night because we were having a music video premiere and all the posters were just to gain attention for this premiere of this Mm -hmm. indie band. But they had like a letter writing campaign to much music saying, don't play this music video. And then much music called us and said, what is this video? How do we see it? Like they were actually just like, it was like the reverse of what they wanted. wanted. And they would, they would go on TV and say something. And then the reporters would come and talk to me and I'd say like, I don't know. They just need to finish university, and then they're all just going to be pregnant and housewives. So, like, this is just a phase. I just say whatever I could to it's, it's, aggravate. It's, the honestly, situation. it's like it's a little shameful now because it's Trumpism. You just say whatever is going to aggravate your yeah. your attackers, and it just makes them lose their minds. Yeah, and then they'll go get more press for you. Right, and then you just counterset that. And I remember one time I actually invited them all to my house, and I said, "Look." If you object to my music video, I was going to propose. They were saying it's violence against women and that I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm uh, empowering violence against women. Your podcast is probably going to now ruin my career because people are going to look back. This is how it works. <laughs> and um, they, I said, you know, my, my goal was, I, I said, hey, I was making fun of uh, South, the South Park movie. Uh, hey, I'll have punch and pie. Everybody come over and, and let's, let's have some pie and talk this through and like, what I was going to offer is maybe we put like a message at the beginning, and the end of the video. Like if you or someone, you know, is, is, is a victim of, of abuse through marriage or relationship, here's the hotline. Here's the, here's the call. I like, that's a fair trade. You feel that the, the video is too violent. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to be an advocate for violence against women. So, okay, but did they think yeah. the video was too violent or were they just pissed off about the posters? It, it, it was hand in hand. Okay. I mean, they had, I think if I hadn't have done the posters, they probably would have, I mean, they wouldn't have even seen exactly. the video. Yeah. Let alone, but yeah, sometimes if you if you lead a horse to water, the mm-hmm. horse will drink. Mm-hmm. So I knew doing that they weren't going to show up. So I made a video of me talking to them. But um, they weren't there. You know, and it's just a close-up of me saying like, well, here's my side of it. 
Um, this is why we made the video. This is why we did the campaign, but I understand here's the offer I have for you. So honestly, I'm done talking. If you want to have the floor, I'm, I'm all ears. And that cuts to a wide shot and I'm just there alone. And, uh, Joe Cocker's all by myself starts playing and I'm just eating, eating my pie and sipping my punch. And I had a list said not in attendance and I had every one of their names from the group, like scroll by. So I just do things just to like <laughs> aggravate like the hell out of them, you know, next level, but it was like. Like I'm a huge fan of like Michael Moore and, and, you know, like I think around the same time, the same year, like Super Size Me, it came out. Yep. And it was just like these people that just learned to poke and get the most publicity. I went, you're just, you're running your own circus. Yeah. And honestly, the more I watch like Donald Trump on TV and his campaign, I'm like, oh man, yeah, I'm just pulling from the same playbook. Unfortunately, I'm not going to then destroy human rights and yeah. uh, the economy and everything else along with it. Yeah. You know. Do you think that stuff still works today do you think that type of like shock yeah media? yeah yeah i mean i'm trying to think it's of like what... a sensitive it's a sensitive era now which yeah. is, is in some parts valid well i'm watching like some parts I'm wa comedy not. seems to be taking a big strike back yes. lately like yeah. i watched the new Chappelle special and the new bill burr special mm -hmm. and laugh my ass off yeah. at both of them but they're just they're sort of quietly saying, we're not stepping down or changing our routines. We're going to go comedy. harder in the direction we went originally. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it can work. Obviously, you do have to consider the sensitive nature of things. Like even, even Last Call, you know, we have this very serious movie about suicide. And, it, and it's and it's awesome to see the way that it's been uh, embraced by the mental health community. Mm -hmm. And we're able to associate with charities and raise money for charities. Yeah. And that's something I've never had with a film before. Um, what has that experience been like? It, it's been amazing. I'll, I'll just let me just finish yeah, this thought. Like the idea of like, there's things where like I wanted. I'm like, I I embrace failure. So we have way more. Even though we've been to all these film festivals, we have way more rejections from festivals than than acceptance. Mm -hmm. I wanted to print like T-shirts that said like the like a band tour shirt that said like the the world rejection tour yeah. and have all the festivals we've been rejected from. But it's just kind of like this isn't this isn't the movie. This isn't the vehicle to use comedy. Yes. So I think anything you look at, you have to you definitely have to weigh the consequences mm -hmm. and decide if you're going to be okay with the, with the yeah. retaliation that's going to come. Yeah. Um, but yeah, working working with the charities and having those those organizations involved has been a little overwhelming because you know David Wilkins, who stars in the movie and wrote it with me. He he and I set out to make the movie we wanted to make, which yeah. is a piece of entertainment. It mm -hmm. was never our goal to be like a mental health awareness piece mm -hmm. or to, you know, obviously we want to accurately portray the scenario, but it's also a movie. So you have to, the same way that guns don't run out of bullets, you never pay for a taxi. Right. There's no sound in outer space, but TIE fighters sound awesome in Star Wars. Like you take liberties to, to tell the story and everybody understands that watching a movie. But uh, we've actually been kind of blown away that the feedback is that we actually have done an incredible job and are very accurate. And, um, you know, you were there at the premiere. There was, um, a woman, Anne, who stood up, who was a 911 operator. I, I haven't seen Anne face to face in years. You know, I worked, she'd mentioned, I worked on this charity video for her back in the day and said, you know, she was, she was in tears talking about how much the movie meant to her and how much it is a good representation of what they, what they do on the call. So that's, that's mind blowing. Yeah. And rightfully you know, so the other guy that stood up in the balcony and even the reverse was thanking you for making the film coming from a position of seeing um, David's character and saying oh, like yeah. he, he had gone through similar things and it was nice to see that on film. You're getting 
two both sides. Yeah, like amazing. I'm, like goosebumps. Like honestly, yeah. you know, it's it's the best you could hope for as a director that people actually embrace your movie and and get the message that you're trying to send. You know. Yeah. Um, I've never. Most of my films have been. And music videos like a little harder hitting, mm-hmm. like it's it's definitely like even if it's a drama, I'm on I'm on the darker side of things than than the light and fluffy. Mm-hmm. Although every once in a while I crank out a music video that's like happy go lucky and you know like and we've produced together you know, yeah. we've done we've done two where it's like <laughs> you know that that simul video for Where's My Love you like I was like okay this is like a sad idea and stuff I didn't know it was gonna make people ball their eyes out yes. and share it around the globe until it gazillions just, of views. I was like, you just tell the audience how many views this music video that uh, was shot on Boblo Island. Last check, like 47 million views like, on a budget of $6 in <laughs> Boston pizza. Thank you, Rob Haglin and local Boston pizza. Oh, you my know. gosh. That, that's insane. That's what we did. We did four we music did four. videos in four days. Four, four, right? four yeah. days, yep. And that was the first time I properly worked with Carl Janice, the DP who have gone well, on He was amazing. Yeah. And I remember him in the water in his boxers. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was just like, oh my God, there's this that is picture such of commitment. him like holding the camera over <sighs> so he's like in in the lake up to his shoulders holding but it looked like uh like uh John Kuzak say anything with his ghetto blaster over his head and Peter Gabriel's in your eyes when playing over <laughs> There should be a side by side of that. But yeah, but even that video ends up taking on I just I think I just dwell more in the and for horror movies too. Like again, it's to me like filmmaking should never pull punches. I don't really like I enjoy movies that are like I don't want to call them fluff pieces, but are just more sort of surface level. You know, we had a review for Last Call that said uh, paraphrasing, but essentially that we handle the subject matter of suicide mm-hmm. more gracefully and more impactfully than 13 Reasons Why on Netflix and uh, uh, the Bradley Cooper remake of Star is Born. Mm-hmm. I was just like, wow. wow. Like, you know, I I don't think of this because I watch those movies and those things affect me. But mm-hmm. I guess once I actually think about it, okay, they, they are a little more on the romantic side of things yes. and not really delving. It's like, okay, a suicide happened, but it's a plot trigger for B, C, and D to happen, mm-hmm. it's not uh, it's not the exploration of, of the movie up front. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just also didn't realize the level of uh, people, like, of, of the masses that suffer from some form of, of mental health mm-hmm. or affliction or have suicidal thoughts because one strange thing that's happened is every screening anywhere, people come up to David and Sarah and I in the lobby and say, you know, wow, like here's my story is this, or I lost a brother to suicide. Mm-hmm. And they just feel like it, it happened in Windsor too. And I'm like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that because yeah, I don't, hard. I don't know how to talk to strangers about like yes. their deepest and darkest secrets mm-hmm. and, and recent losses and things. But you know, it, it's, it's rewarding to know that the movie can like, cause most of them have even said like, you know, it, it's hard to watch, mm-hmm. but like it, it feels cathartic for me. And, and one woman at our original festival premiere said my brother committed suicide and like we missed his call because we were sleeping and I just would have hoped that had I answered the phone, I would have handled it like Beth did. And I was just like, okay, you know, like it's, yeah. it's a lot to take in. I'm yeah. trying, you know, trying not to cry standing in the lobby, yeah. but, uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's like a challenge in itself is just the reaction of other people, let alone making the film itself. I just wanted to, move backwards slightly just sure. to give people that are listening that don't know what last call is which if yeah. you haven't by now then where the fuck have you been um <laughs> well then you're 99.9 <laughs> of the planet that's fair though that's fair um but if you maybe it would probably come come better from you what last call is sure uh last call is an independent movie 
that we shot in a single take, which means there's no edits. So the cameras turn on, call action, roll the entire movie. We decided to double that that's a challenge by shooting the movie in split screen. So there's actually two camera crews rolling simultaneously in different parts of the city. And what that does is allows in the edits, uh, you're watching the whole movie in split screen. You're seeing both sides of this man calling. He thinks he's calling a suicide hotline, but he's misdialed and gets connected with a random stranger. And when that stranger realizes what he's up to, decides to stay on the phone and do the right thing and try to change the outcome of his decision. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I loved about being at the premiere in Windsor was having the CMHA there. And he went on stage and said, you know, if anyone is triggered by watching mm, the film, yeah. we'll, be, we'll be at the back of the of the, um, like in the lobby theater. There, yeah, yeah. yeah, if you need to talk. And I was like, it's it might seem very small, mm -hmm. but that is like so, A, so smart and so yeah. huge to have that opportunity, whether it's in the middle of the film or at the end, because it is, it's, it's a topic that is a hard to cover and hard to hard to cover well mm -hmm. and as well as you guys did. Did you do the research before? I know you guys. So you were mm -hmm. saying that you had psychologists watch it after and make sure that yeah, things yeah. were done right. And have you had you guys done the research beforehand, or was it just personal experience? Like, how did that writing come to fruition? Uh, you know, D David talked about it in Q and A, so I feel like I can talk about it. Uh, he, you know, he suffers depression. Um, my, my wife, Sarah, who plays Beth in the film and plays the lead, she, you know, her, her, she has suicide in her family. Um, I had a, I had a dear friend. She was, she was, she was a kid, like a kid's sister to me. She was a, a high school student who did our set photography here in Windsor, um, who committed suicide, um, God, four or five years ago. And that, that was the closest that, that I've had that I know. I, I had another friend. We we weren't close at the time. He was an actor in one of my previous films. He he uh, killed himself three years, two, three years ago now. Mm -hmm. So I'm, a, I'm aware of it, but I never had it like right in my family or anything. Yeah. Just the the idea of writing the movie, we, we really lucked out because a good friend of David's who's become a friend of mine, her name's Katie Featherstone. She stars in all the Paranormal Activity movies. Mm -hmm. She volunteers, uh, I think, once a week, a couple times a week at an actual crisis center. So we first went to her and said, tell us everything we need to know. How does it work? We wanted the research to be accurate. And that's when we actually changed the script to be a stranger because she said, you know, essentially every call is 20 minutes. Nobody would ever be left alone. So all the heightened tension that you want to have in your script mm -hmm. wouldn't be honest to to what this could be. And, uh, yeah, so having that research and, and really delving in helped yeah. Getting it vetted was more more about if we're going to align with, chair. you know, see uh, Canadian Mental Health right away. They saw the trailer, said, "Wow, this sounds amazing. We're in. We think it's in." And then they actually came back and said, "Well, like one of our like psychologists, like professionals, should look at the film and make mm -hmm. sure you're not sending out a massive trigger warning." Of, of course, right. you don't want to you don't want to mar a charity's perception or mm -hmm. have people be angry at something that a charity did. Um, and then we're fortunate enough to know a therapist in Los Angeles who works with Warner Brothers as sort of their crisis counselor, meaning that whenever they have, a, say, a rape scene or a, a death scene or a suicide scene or something in a show, that she heads up that there's a place for the actors and the crew and stuff to, to talk about, too, because you don't you never realize if somebody's had personal experience in their life and then have to do this for their art, yeah. there may be some residual thoughts mm, and after effects. So it's becoming, I just, I feel like the world 
in the last five years, especially is really starting to awaken to what mental health means. And, mm-hmm. you know, even in the firefighter and EMS community, it's, it, it was largely a man's world and a man's job. And it's just like, be a man, suck it up, you know, and people are starting to finally come through and realize like, no, they, they see some of the worst stuff out there. And just keeping that all into yourself is not healthy, no. you know, and that's, that's the whole point of the movie is just to say, talk to yeah. anyone, yep. be it a stranger, be it someone close to you. Like people will listen. If you just say, look, I just, I don't want your advice. I don't want you to tell me things will get better. I want you to just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. I just need to say it out loud to another human being yeah. and, and, you know, get it off my chest and realize that we're all human and going through something. Yeah. Was well, I read this on the internet yesterday it said like in approaching any situation whether someone's depressed sad or maybe they're just angry um, when they approach you with an issue ask you know do you just need to vent or do you need my advice because if you go in straight with advice you could be you know discrediting or making them feel worse about their situation and I thought that was such an I never thought about that Mm -hmm. to like go into a conversation asking what someone needs before you just give what you think they might need sometimes people just need to rant they just need to be heard you're not married yet <laughs> you'll learn yeah <laughs> i will learn that's surely. that's part of it just being like i don't want your advice i just you're the you're the you're the main sounding board that i they, my wife and i have it all the time and just say like i just need to vent i don't you know even if i sound ludicrous i'm just gonna say this all so i don't go say it to someone else yeah. <laughs> mostly yeah exactly. but i also think like but there's the other side of it too where a lot of people go to their friends and want to want to bitch and complain because they they just want their feelings validated. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear hard truths. They right. don't want to look in the mirror. They don't want to uh, listen to advice that's that's probably the best advice, but they're they're never gonna they're never gonna listen or do it. Yeah, they just want to be validated so they can continue to rant or, or yeah. act in the bad behavior that they are. The best of friends will always challenge challenge the friend. But you're right. There are times you just need to. Somebody just needs to listen. Yeah. yeah. They might not be ready for the, the mm-hmm. advice that they likely need anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about being in Windsor. Mm-hmm. In the premiere, the Canadian premiere was in Windsor. What was that like showing your film in Windsor in the Chrysler Theater with a sold out audience? It was, that's the biggest audience I've ever had at any one screening. I love that theater. I've seen plays there. I actually shot a movie theater. No, that's right. That's the Capitol Theater. Whoops. Shot a movie scene there. (laughs) Uh, We recorded the score live in a single take for the movie. We did that also at the same theater, so on the same stage. So, So, you know, it's got a direct connection to the movie. But always showing a movie in a room where so many people from the restaurants that catered it to the people who were production assistants to the person who rented us the van, you know, at a deep discount that we could, we could use in the film. All of those things add up to like, like that's the best screening when you're showing it and everybody who got to work on it. Cause you know, a lot of times it's the director celebrated, the producers are celebrated, yes. the actors are celebrated, maybe yes. the cinematographer, sometimes the music. Other than that, you never, you don't hear much except for the Oscars when you get to like costume. And, mm-hmm. but even beyond that, you never hear like, wow, the grips and the gaffers and everything, like what really went into making this or the, mm-hmm. the city councilors who were like, okay, we can, uh, close off these parking spots so that Beth can pull up at the same spot every night. You don't, you don't hear any of that. So it's always nice to be in a room and let everybody that made the movie feel that love and Mm -hmm. and feel that excitement. Mm -hmm. And for most of them, it was the first time they had seen the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I mean, like Sarah and David have seen it. Adrian's seen it. 
uh, Tristan, our little high school intern, had been. Oh, he was been so out to, sweet. Yeah, he uh, he came. Him, he and his mom came out to L.A. for the premiere there. So get this first day in L.A. Oh my god! He's got a premiere at the Chinese Theater for a movie he worked on. I'm like, you have no idea how good you have it right now. <laughs> oh my god, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's but it's 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 always homecoming is great. You know, it's so much local support. The idea that Canadian Mental Health Association wanted to get behind it and was. Willing to let us do a fund, you know, we're never going to be their biggest fundraiser. They had a, a fundraiser the same night where they raised, got easily 10, 20 times as much money. But we just thought if we had a movie that we could do some good with, like this is this is the opportunity. Yeah. So you have said multiple times, you'll always come back to Windsor. Mm-hmm. You love coming to shoot in Windsor. You love using local local people mm-hmm. to be on set as much as possible. Do you ever think there will come a time where you don't want to come back to Windsor? And what would that time look like? Um, I guess it would be if, if I, I just can't see how much, say city council changed or the mayor's office changed and they were just suddenly not open to films coming here and not mm-hmm. supporting their own or things like location, like, you know, St. Clair College was the location, uh, our, you know, the stranger Beth in the movie is a night janitor at this college. If we didn't have access there, we couldn't have afforded to make the movie mm-hmm. at all. So if those favors and things kind of went away, it would be it would be a different thing. But Windsor's also just two degrees of separation. Like if I know you, I know 300 other people. Mm-hmm. So if I post on Facebook, I'm looking for six broken hockey sticks, an ambulance, and uh, a couch from 1967 that has this pattern on it. There's a good chance in Windsor within a few Facebook shares and people commenting on it, that you'll find what you need. That's so true. You know, and I'm sure that's true of any city if you're from that city. Mm-hmm. But I've just always found Windsor to be just, it's the smallest big town there is, you know, or, or the biggest small town, I should say. And they're just very willing to get involved and, and help out, you know. And I, I feel like there's just something about, you know, a traditionally blue-collar, white-collar town that, mm-hmm. Not a lot of people sort of get out and go live their dreams. So I think they're very respectful of that and, and want to aid and help however they can. They take they take pride in it. Yeah, for sure we do. You know, and it's just, it's awesome. I mean, I, I've also like not made features anywhere else. Yep. I've tried and it's very <laughs> difficult. But it, yeah, I've just, and, until there's a, a reason, I mean, obviously the if, if I set a movie in Melbourne, Australia, I probably have to go to Australia to film yeah. it. That's fine, uh, but, Gavin. We'll let you go. But just even in terms of locations, like you've got city, you've got the grid of a downtown, then you've got farm fields 10 minutes away, and you've got industrial complexes, and you have modern homes and old homes and riverfronts, beautiful riverfronts, mm-hmm. and bridges and streams and, and, and quaint small town streets like in Harrow and Essex. Like you, you, it really, the county can double for a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of things. Well, it's nice to hear, have someone do so well come from Windsor and like say those things on repeat because I feel <laughs> like even still and that's fine that people always want to leave and that's a conversation people have all the time about leaving going doing but everybody slowly wants to trickle back whether it's two years or 18 years or whatever how many years later it's, it's tough man since, it since the beginning of time if you were a hunter hunter gatherer you had to keep going further and further away from your your little cave to <laughs> find food and forage for your family and like the further you go from home, the less family support you have, the less friendship network you have, mm-hmm. the harder it is. And you, yeah. you're starting over in every city that you're in. So for everybody who's ever like 
gone and come back, at least they know they tried. Yes. And sometimes people just discover this industry is not for me and they come mm -hmm. back. It's not that they failed. It's not that they didn't have what it, it took to do it. They just made a choice that this isn't what I want to do. This yeah. the, I love the art. I don't mm -hmm. love the business side of it. And most people that I see, <laughs> hand up, hand, hand up. up. That's me. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's a rat race, right? It's not. It's uh, everything you ever hear about the entertainment industry being crooked and full of liars and snakes. Like it's pretty true, you know. You find your tribe and try to avoid it as much as possible, mm -hmm. but. You know, I, I, I don't know. For some reason, I have this thing where I get kicked in the teeth brutally and still want to like still wanna smile? get up and go skate and take another puck to the face, you know? Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't compute for me that I should quit and go do something else. It has a couple times. There were a couple of people in that audience on Saturday night that have, uh, you know, essentially. I'm not going to phrase it that way since my movie's about suicide. <laughs> But I've I've been I've been on the edge of quitting before, mm -hmm. and they've you know I remember <laughs> my friend Courtney took me out for ice cream one time. We just sat in the park, and she said, "What else are you gonna do?" I don't know. Maybe I'll go teach. And she just laughed. She's like, "You'd be the worst teacher on the planet." Oh well, I could just. She's like, "Good luck. You'd be so miserable there." Like, unfortunately for you, this is what you're wired to do, mm -hmm. and no matter how tough it is, you're gonna have to find ways to deal with it. So better start now because it's not yeah. going to get any easier. I'm yeah. just like, tough love, yep. tough advice. Yeah, but but tough she advice. was right, you know? Uh, yeah. So I, I never – I used to think that people, they're like, oh, you gave up on your mm -hmm. dream. It's like there's a lot of reasons and a lot of legitimacy yep. to like, quote, unquote, give up on your dream. And it probably means it wasn't actually your dream. That's what right. it really means that mm -hmm. like you wanted to do something else more mm -hmm. or something else makes you happier that doesn't involve constant disappointments. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and that's what I was going to say about mm -hmm. the industry from just listening to you talk about being mm -hmm. in the industry, obviously not from experience, um, but you like have said, you know, you fail, 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 fail 99 times yep. and have one success. Yeah. How do you get through those 99 fucking fails? It gets, a little, it gets a little fails. easier that you know <laughs> – you know, you've just learned that there's this pattern and that things will come around mm -hmm. and, and it just becomes, you just sort of deflect it. I mean, I don't play sports. I don't watch sports, but sports underdogs movies are like the best example of everything. Or even like if you're on the, let's say the NBA team that, that loses the championship, or mm -hmm. if you go to the Super Bowl and you're the losing team, you're the second best team in the world, you know, mm -hmm. like in the league, you don't give up and go and quit your job yeah you dig in harder mm -hmm. and you practice harder and you come up with new routines that the, that your competitors and, and competing teams won't see coming next year you yeah. just use it as a way to better yourself versus be defeated because mm -hmm. if every one of the athletes was just defeated and then every year their career just suffered more and more that team would never see it but it's always like there is room for lots of people to succeed mm -hmm. you just have to kind of be like I don't know. It's it's a weird endurance test, but I can't yeah. imagine like let's let's just pick let's say nursing. Mm -hmm. If I had wanted to be a nurse and then I showed up at the hospital and I don't know ninety nine out of a hundred days they're like, there's no work for you. You're not good enough. Go home. Or oh, we gave it to we gave the shift to someone. Like if it worked like that, yeah, people would probably give up on nursing too. Like there's there's no stable income in it. There's no yes. there's no uh, there's no end of like is this going to take me five years to get yeah. where I want? Is yeah. this going to take me 10 years to get where I want. Like it has to, the contentment has to come as an artist. You just have to say, I could do this for, I could truly do this for no money mm -hmm. or just enough money to pay my bills and yeah. exist. 
Um, you have to put value in success of like success of friendship, success of just enjoying the creative process. I love making movies. There's nothing else I'd rather do. So I could be on someone else's set holding a boom mic. That's not my dream of directing big mm -hmm. studio movies mm -hmm. or editing somebody's short film. But I, I just love always being creative. So mm -hmm. as long as I have that creative outlet, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm very content. If I never made another movie again and Last Call was my final movie, I'd be super happy. As long as I'm being creative somewhere else. Somewhere like, else. Mm -hmm. I'm crap at it, but I love to play guitar. So if I, you know, if I invested <laughs> more time in that, as long as I picked up that guitar every day and played, I'm creatively satisfied. You yeah. Know? I want to talk a little bit about, you know, and I'm using air quotes being the struggling mm -hmm. artist. Yeah. And I think a big question that a lot of, I, I think about often mm -hmm. and a lot of artists think about often, and I'm going to ask you is. How do you sustain your last, I know your last job yeah, was when yeah. you were 16 at Walmart. How have you sustained? <laughs> it's more like 18, but eight, close. Yeah, 18, yeah. almost nailed it. Um, how have you sustained doing that for so long? Like what are the, like what are the honest truths about how you have sustained sure. being an artist for so long? My goal was to like, I'm going to start this production company. We'll do TV commercials and website design back before everyone could design their own website and shoot their own commercials on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And there was good money in it. You know, I did, I did worked on some Dr. Cole commercials, the hair transplant clinic here in town. I did one Dr. Tafor commercial, uh, Jerome Taylor, a car dealer. You know, I get to work on all these things, but I was like, I, I was really I was really bad at it. I was almost self-sabotaging in the sense that it's not the work I wanted to do. It wasn't mm -hmm. creatively fulfilling. So I would just sort of like, it's not that I wouldn't do a good job, but I just didn't really follow up hard to get the next commercial or to, <clears throat> to really, you could just tell I had no interest in doing yeah. it. And clients don't want people that aren't invested in what mm -hmm. they're doing. Mm -hmm. So I should have never gone into business for myself that way. But my plan was, I'm going to save up. I'm going to use all the money and free time that I have from being my own business owner mm -hmm. to make my movies. Then you go like, oh, man, now I need an <laughs> office space. And I got to pay a couple of staff people and I got to buy all this gear. And I'm working 80 hours a week just to get this work done. Now I have no time or energy to write, blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And I just realized it wasn't the path for me. Luckily, I fell into kind of doing music videos mm -hmm. where I said, oh, this isn't my, it's still my art, but often it's the label idea or the, the band's idea or they have a final say and control over its destiny, mm -hmm. which I've had to learn to live with. Mm -hmm. But it's it's closer to making movies and it's narrative storytelling and I get to try new cameras and work with actors and do all these fun things. So that became a way to earn money in order to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I, I, you know, I edit friends demo reels or will, you know, still once in a while direct a commercial. I, you know, I directed a, a little promo thing for Actra for the for the acting union in Canada a couple of years ago. Uh, I could probably make a lot of money doing commercial work. Yeah. I would love to try again and give it a try. But I just know I live and operate better and like where I just make my own stuff. And mm -hmm. if I make, I'm, I'm happy making a short for, you know, $300 total budget yeah. where I'm being paid pennies if I love the project uh, to, to a detriment, you know, yeah. if eventually like you've got to contribute, especially in a relationship in the marriage, like, you know, it has yeah. to be, it has to be even keel, but at the same, same token, Sarah will, oh, I'm going to put on a play and drain our bank account and like use all the money you put on a play. And I go, okay, like we're, <laughs> we're, we're terribly suited for each other. Yeah, so you as, guys as, sound like you know, a match made in heaven. Yeah, in, in the creative sense, yeah. but in the fiscally responsible <laughs> and what's the smart thing to do. But that's, that's where we thrive because we both just say, 
screw it, you know, the expression, bet it all on black, put all the chips mm-hmm. down on the table and let, let the Vegas odds see if we get to go another round or yeah. if we're bankrupt enough to start over. Yeah, mm. that's another interesting conversation is just about relationships in film. Mm. And it's something that uh, I've gone through and I, you know, probably everyone goes through in their own way. Um, is like you have this creative part of you that like, Sometimes I'm like, oh, I want something that has nothing to do with the arts. Mm-hmm. And then you like have a conversation with someone that doesn't do with the arts. I'm like, oh, I could never do this. But then you meet someone that's like too into it. I'm like, oh, God, this is too much. We're both trying to do the same thing. And it's I don't know where the good line sits. <laughs> I, I had that problem. You know, I was I was previously married when I was younger, like stupid young, shouldn't have got married, you know. But but at the time we were super happy and going into it. I thought everything would be great. And then quickly. I started booking. I had a short-lived gig uh, shooting behind-the-scenes stuff for Eminem and his band D12. Oh, my gosh. It, it was kind of amazing. A, a friend of awesome. mine, Desmond Walker in Detroit, he's a filmmaker. I met him on some commercials. I, we, we both used to work for this company that was operated out of Canada but all shot shot their commercials in Detroit. Like terrible, like uh, – Come on in for a, a estimate on your damaged car at our garage and eat a free pork chop while you wait. Like all those like things you see on oh, Channel no. 20 and Channel 50 in Detroit or, you know, uh, get your suits here, three for three for 50 and all these oh, kind of, you know, yep. it's terrible. And they, they basically didn't care if a monkey held the camera and waved it around. They just they they were making the money off of selling the ads to the yeah. network. And Desmond and I kind of met on one of their shoots and started coming and be like, hey, can, do you care if we get more creative with this? Like, we're willing to do the work. Like, mm-hmm. we were we were young and wanted to learn. And Desmond had a relationship with Eminem and with his management and, and some of the people in the D12 band, like Proof. And we, you know, I got this gig to go in and shoot the behind the scenes of their album D12 World. And it was mind-blowing. I'm like 22, 23, and like... But, you know, I, I was smart in some ways where I tried to get some press for that right away in Windsor. Like, I remember CBC and Bob Steele doing a story on me. I went to Panasonic in Toronto and said, look, I'm doing this M&M project. You have these new cameras that I would love to shoot it with. And if you give me two cameras, I can make sure your credits are in the DVD and everything. So, like, I'm a I'm I'm not directing a documentary about M&M. Mm-hmm. I'm not anything. Probably shouldn't have even scored free cameras and things about like That's i don't really saying. have control That's, of that yeah it was bold and risky yeah. and you know there's some there's there's some uh um morality involved in in those decisions but you know it, it was it was really eye-opening because i got to be in the studio and like watch these masters work and then mm-hmm. just that was my first taste of like real like a famous person like and, yeah. and at the top of his game at the time <laughs> and eminem and if, of all people if nothing else that inspired me to go, to go further. And I, you know, I don't know if Desmond's relationship with them soured or if he just moved on. Cause he went to go make his first film that I actually wrote a draft for shortly after that. And he had Ray J starring in it, like pre sex tape with Kim Kardashian <laughs> and, you know, just all these weird wild adventures. But my, uh, my ex at the time was not, you know, I, I don't want to speak ill of her. She's a wonderful woman, but just didn't enjoy my career choice and all the hours going it's into hard. it. And it, it was, it, it was really, a a choice like like that or me mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. um it, it kind of went she was she was very religious and it kind of went against sort of like her moral code mm-hmm. for lack of a better word and uh, it just it fizzled out and yeah. i swore up and down i would never get married again and i would desperately try to not 
become attractive to, to people so that I didn't have to like date them. And, uh, but every once in a while, somebody would come along and no, I'm different and I'm going to, mm, and then course. six months into the relationship, it would be like, well, do you have to like work on my birthday? Do you have to take that trip for a week? And are you, are you sure you have to edit tonight? We should be going to this or doing that. And it's just like, no. And then it would be like, oh, okay, we have to break up. It would take me sometimes weeks or months to like yeah. pull the trigger, but there was always key words of like, have you ever thought about like anything else but film? And it was just like, bye. The relationship, the relationship was dead. <laughs> that was it might done take there. Two or three months later. Yep. But it's also interesting because when you're a starving artist, like that relationship also becomes your biggest like champion and supporter, mm-hmm. and you have that outlet to vent and all the things mm-hmm. we've been talking about. Yeah. That provides that. So like in, in some ways I stayed in relationships longer than I should have because I did have that like emotional crutch mm-hmm. or they would get involved and like it, it's hard mm-hmm. to it's hard to meet any charismatic artist that that I'm gonna go make this project and not get sucked up into it and say, sure. I wanna be there, I wanna be part of that. So often girlfriends would get involved in acting or producing and then mm-hmm. we're, then you're sort of joined at the hip a little bit more. But I, I get it, you know, I started to say like, you know, I'm never going to get married because I, I would say I need somebody who's just as driven as me that understands what it's like to travel all over the time. And I was like, the only way it would work is if I married a lawyer who also ran a hospital charity and took care of uh, sick dogs on the weekend. So, oh you know, God. like and that was in Florida. So, like, I, you know, and I just thought, oh, that'll never happen. And then, you know, of course, I met Sarah. And like, how did you guys meet? Uh, we met at the Toronto International Film Festival at a party we had both mutually snuck into. So we already had the entrepreneurial spirits and, and everything going for us right out of the gates. <laughs> but yeah, and then I suddenly I was just like, you know, enamored. I'm like, oh, here she is. Here's the girl that suddenly I'm the one trying to chase her and catch up, mm-hmm. you know. And even when, once we were married, I would find myself saying like, well, do, do you have to go to this? Uh, oh, oh, zip. Stop. I don't get to say funny. that because now I'm on the other side of it. Like, and I, and I got it and I felt, so suddenly felt really bad for past relationships where maybe I could have been a little kinder when they said things like that. <laughs> but I, but I caught myself and realized, oh no, that's not what you want. So this, now you've got to learn how to be supportive like other people were for you. And, and we just have to both work towards supporting one another as much as we can. And you both have done incredibly well for yourselves separately and together and honestly like i think we both would have found our success separately sarah especially um but i can honestly say together it works better Mm -hmm. because then we have that like this is crazy i don't know if i should do it the other one goes do it you should do it right now (laughs) push the button um you know or i'm I'm gonna go to windsor and make this single take movie and da da da. okay i'll act in it let's go well how are we gonna pay our bills who cares we'll figure it out later you know, it's it's a lot of that where I don't think many couples or individuals are ready to like take that take that it's um you've never seen Indiana Jones, so it's the Indiana Jones <laughs> yeah, the last knew. crusade. I, didn't. I just knew. I could tell. As soon as I said you and you, you shied go, away mm. from your microphone, there's in, in the third one it's all about the quest for the Holy Grail and he literally has to make a literal leap of faith where he or a leap of faith where he has to trust that if he steps out off this cliff that there will be an invisible bridge there for him. Oh. Yeah. I won't spoil if it's there. Okay. Not, you know, <laughs> ruin a plot twist. But uh, yeah, it's it's really a leap of faith to say, I don't care what comes next. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And that's that's a survival skill that, that you can't learn until you just start doing it and mm-hmm. deal with some hardships and realize, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. I could do this again. Yeah. Um, but, yep. Sarah, you know, Sarah's the one who 
really motivated me to say, I think we have everything we need to move to the U.S. We could get green cards and like you qualify. And I was always like, oh, that sounds like a pipe dream. But like, you know, living in Windsor, Toronto, it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. I'll just keep going. And she's always been the big driving force. Or every time I say, oh, we could go make the single take movie. She's like, do it. You know, so half of it without her like support behind me and then meeting people even in friendships like David, who shares the same like, well, I won a million dollars making a Super Bowl commercial once that we made for two hundred dollars in my friend's front yard as a scrappy little team and his son acted in it. Um, obviously, anything's possible to me mm-hmm. because I already did it once. Mm-hmm. So he's he's always willing to bet it on black because he he's already learned like, what do you have to lose? Yeah. For sure. I want to ask you a soft question. Okay. Because <laughs> you said I could ask you anything. Sure. What do you love most about Sarah? Oh, man. Her, like, drive and belief in herself for her talent. Uh, one, it's, it's fascinating to watch somebody that I know is going to be a superstar that I believe 100% has nothing to do with nepotism. The woman is talented. And I can say that because, like, you know, we got married. We hadn't worked together yet. Mm-hmm. And I'd seen a few things she'd done. She's seen maybe 20 of my 150 music videos, you know. <laughs> like, we just, we were in love. And it didn't matter. It wasn't about who had done what. Or um, I went to go see, she did a play in Toronto that she produced. And it was called Blackbird. And it was this very intense play. But that was, so I had worked, you know, I had worked with her. We did a short film. We did the movie The Scare House together. We did a music video together at that point. And it's always interesting, like, I know she's super talented because she's she's in this thing, but it's something that I wrote, something that I directed, so I don't have I don't have that detachment. Right. So I remember everything that went into it. Blackbird, when she did the play, was the first time that I got to sort of just sit back, never saw a rehearsal, didn't know, I, I ran lines with her a couple times, mm-hmm. but like, that was the first time I sat in the audience and just watched Sarah, the actor, do her thing. Blew my mind more than any other actor that I know, and I was just like... Oh, wow. Like, I knew she's good, but that's the first time I realized she was amazing. So it's really fun to watch somebody, you know, with talent push themselves. And it's a struggle. So, like, mm-hmm. I think that's what I, I love the most is watching what it's it's inspiring to me mm-hmm. as an artist. And I never thought I'd meet somebody that was what, like, I feel like it's wrong to say that, like, I don't know how to phrase it, but, like, I inspire myself. I could always be self-motivating mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. keep going. But she... I'm chasing her motivation now, which in, in relationships before, I think it was always people chasing my motivation. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating to watch. And it, it just, I could, I could never quit cause it would just be an embarrassment to her because she, she'd just <laughs> laugh at me the whole time. You know? And I can definitely say if, if you guys don't believe Gavin, I can say secondhand from just watching your last call. Hmm. And we talked earlier briefly about, she has the, the big scene. Yeah. And she, and let me fucking tell you, Oh my god! Like, you can't you can't control yourself when you're watching that scene. But additionally, all the subtle moments that lead up to that, mm. her talent is like well, it, it leaves I mean, you speech. It is it's it isn't just that you are her husband, you know, <laughs> spewing goodness on yeah. a pot. Like she really, I was like so encapsulated with everything that she was doing. The very subtle moments of touching her. Some of it, if you're not a good actor, actor. Yeah. You can't pull it's, that shit off. Making it's a single hard. take movie, the the scripts and the actors have to be solid or it doesn't yep. work. You can yep. you can pull off the what I like about this film is a lot of you know, obviously we market it on the technical gimmick. Mm-hmm. Two single takes yes. shot at the same time, split screen. 
Because if I say it's about a man calling a suicide hotline and the woman who answers the phone, you mm-hmm. go, who's in it? Is it, uh, yeah. uh, what did we say earlier, Paul Giamatti and Rooney, Rooney Mara? Is it celebrities? <laughs> no? Oh, I, that sounds boring then. But, you know, you market you market it however we talked about earlier. You sensationalize and market whatever you yep. can, however you can to get people to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm really appreciative of is people are coming in. They're coming for the gimmick to watch the thing and then actually getting sucked into the story and the performances. And if David and Sarah couldn't nail those roles that movie doesn't work yeah and you have to remember when you're shooting in real time there's no part of great filmmaking even for meryl streep even for bruce willis even for tom hanks is the editor oh who says yeah. oh take two is a little stronger than take four and what if we match part of take two into take four and mm-hmm. you know they trim it and they they massage the scenes and, and there's a lot more freedom to like make the movie the best a great editor makes a great actor even better yeah and there was no editing in this film no (laughs) so that's how good they are and they and they net like other than for like a few seconds at a time they never leave being in front of the camera right so they are just like trapped in a glass box of you it's it's like theater yeah i heard her say on stage but even theater most theater there are one act plays but most theater the actors get to leave between scenes mm-hmm. or other actors come on stage right. where they change costumes or there's at least an intermission in the middle and they get a reprieve. This is just on the stage, lights up, go. And yeah. we better believe you. And, th- and that play Blackbird I'm talking about was a one-act play, grueling subject matter. And and watching her in it, I was like, oh, if anyone can play Beth in this movie that I hadn't thought of yet and David hadn't thought of yet and we hadn't made yet – It'll be her. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, it was, it was a no brainer when, when this movie came around. That's awesome. I want to talk briefly. Mm-hmm. We talked again off podcast. <laughs> what is the worst advice you have been given? Recently, it's the, it's the, the construct and the mentality of what everyone else thinks of the film industry. So for last call, say the amount of people that told us, don't submit to other festivals. Why are you going to these small festivals? Submit it to TIFF. This is a TIFF movie. It's like, cool. I'd love to be at the Toronto International Film Festival. Unfortunately, a movie with no stars, no budget, neither Sarah and I are are um, part of any minority or diversity mm-hmm. right now. There's not, I said, maybe there's always a chance. Yeah. They, they program fair. There's always a chance they like our movie. They rejected us. Mm-hmm. Had we held off for them to be our world premiere we'd be seven months behind where we are now and the sort of trajectory that we've been on winning awards in italy and wisconsin and sold out screening in la which i never thought would happen having the premiere that you were just at on the weekend with a thousand people there the mental health causes all of like any butterfly ripple you know butterfly effect ripple might not be the same Mm -hmm. i'm super happy with the path that we're on i just keep thinking man if i had held off till tiff got rejected, then what? I'd just be starting now. Yeah. But the doors that's open, the people that I've met for my next, you know, like this next film I'm about to shoot wouldn't be happening as soon Yeah. because we'd be waiting and waiting and waiting. So it's sort of, it all goes into the idea of like, don't wait. That's mm-hmm. the larger piece of advice. People go like, oh, well, you should, I've heard it. You should wait till you have raise a million dollars to make that movie. It's like, right. maybe, I know I know friends that are, are doing that for seven, eight, nine years yeah. and they'll probably get their million dollars but that's seven, eight, nine years of Wasted. not making other movies. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to just take – I'm more a believer of take what you have in front of you, budget be damned, mm-hmm. find your people, find the people that believe in the project enough and make it happen because you will waste years of your life waiting. Yeah. And if you're an actor, 
great, you're auditioning, you've got a good agent, you're auditioning all the time. Maybe you book a couple lines on a TV show here, maybe get a couple episodes there. Make your own stuff. Yeah. Do plays. Go do short films for college students in between things. Like just don't sit around and wait. Make stuff. Make stuff. I'm like, I think yeah. I need this advice right now. <laughs> I've been saying I was going to make my next film probably for the since I shot the last one, so like three years, and I still haven't done it. So, like... well, all right, I'm executive producing your new film, <laughs> and as of tomorrow, you get an email every day asking oh, what's been done until it's until it's done. <laughs> but we but we need those artists. We need yeah. like we need coaches. We yeah. need you know. I think that's why you know actors take act. At first with Sarah, I'm like, why are you taking acting classes? You're a great actor. It's like it inspires me to see other people. Mm -hmm. It's challenging. I get to try new techniques. Like it's just keeping the muscles going. You know, you're acting the same way that an athlete would go to the gym every day or play basketball. You can't go to the NBA and not play basketball every day. You know, like you want it. And the more you stay in it, the better you are when you go to audition because you're not you're not getting rusty. Right. You know, if I don't pick up a camera and make music videos and shorts in between features, that's I mean, it's six years between when I shot or five years between when I shot Scarehouse and Last Call. You know, there's there's a lot of like uh I if I just sat around and I'd still be writing and doing other things, but yeah. like the idea of getting on set and learning how to like save money, you know, we we shot a music video right here where we're where we're sitting. And it's like <laughs> oh, yeah. all of those techniques and learning how to save time and money and effort and scale a crew down to the bare you know, we had a crew of me, yeah. you, and Carl, and maybe a PA. Doug. Yeah, Doug, yeah. <laughs> Four people. Yeah. Um, but all of that goes into then on Last Call. I could make a movie with a core crew of 11 people. Yeah. Normally, I would have the traditional thing of like, oh, no, we need we need 27 people and, and this and PAs for everything. Yep. And um, Yeah, it all – if you just do anything to better your art and mm-hmm. don't wait. Um, yeah, waiting, waiting for the right time will never come. Yeah, I find that every time – I set down because I do it often mm-hmm. in the reverse. I often set my camera down and I often don't shoot for long periods of time. And every time I pick it up again, I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually do like this. Yeah. And then I'm good for like a couple of weeks, maybe maybe a month or two. And then when I set it down again, then I just like let it go too long. And then I forget that I actually enjoy it. I'm like, oh, maybe it's too stressful. It's like having a gym regimen and then stepping away for six months to <laughs> yes. eat chocolate cake and then being like, I want to go back to the gym, but God, God. now it's way harder than if I would have just kept going. <laughs> kept going. You know, trust me, I have that gym battle every six yeah. months. Yeah. But I think, you know, there's there's sort of a like a dirty word around the film industry of being like a hobbyist filmmaker or a hobbyist mm. writer. Like there's nothing wrong with having another career, having another job, having other interests, and then only practicing that art on the weekends or making a short film once once a month or every six months or every year. Like, you know, I think some people looked at, oh, well, if you're not serious about it. It's like, well, no, maybe I don't, maybe I don't have that drive. Maybe I want to do other things. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I have friends, there's, there's a guy here, Sean, that made a, made this crazy, awesome sci-fi movie that was like way ahead of its time. And he, he was ambitious. So I would have never been this ambitious, but you know, he's a, he's an optometrist in town and it's like, it's his passion that he does on the weekends or the same way that people can probably relate to, oh, I like fixing up old cars. Well, they don't like. Mm-hmm. go in every night and quit their full-time job to like finish that car as fast as they yeah. can. It's the thing they go out and they tinker with. And it like, it's part of like keeping them mentally healthy and having other things in life than just their job. Like yep. why can't filmmaking or acting, you know, people who do community theater, they go, Oh, you do community theater. It's like, yeah. well, maybe I don't want all the hustle and bustle of the city and everything right. else, but I love it. And I'll yeah. step onto the stage every two years or once a year or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think also I was just talking to someone literally before you walked in, about 
it's like also kind of a little generational of mm-hmm. like entrepreneurship has become such a big thing that it's like it's kind of glorified that if you aren't all in on your on your hustle then it's you're not really an entrepreneur and i'm like but if that's not your goal like if you're happy doing yeah. that like then be happy but you don't well, look at all the people that have like little craft stores and yeah. now that things like etsy and, yes. and ebay and, and amazon being an amazon marketplace being able to sell your stuff like no it can be a perfectly fine or like god for years people that like uh I mean, my, my friend Debbie the other day, she works in the banking industry, but she she made us a, a telephone cake, this mm-hmm. beautiful, like, three-dimensional <laughs> ice telephone cake. And she does a lot of kids' birthday cakes and things. It's like, it's a side business. And, and when she does it, it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. She's passionate about it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be this all-consumer. Well, now i got to open a bakery and i got to yeah. franchise across America. Yeah. Like, she can just bake cakes when she chooses to yeah. and, and be creatively satisfied with that. Yeah, that's, I think, where I'm at right now is, like, I'm super happy doing what I love when I want to do it and like being stable enough. And I'm looking at you who's like, you went after your dream. And to be quite honest, it's like, I wish I had that gut. So to like leave all this and, you know, maybe just go for it. But is like you were saying earlier, is that really my dream? Mm -hmm. And I battle that a lot of being like, I feel like I should be more involved in the film industry, but I'm like, I have so many other things I like to do yep. and I'm constantly in my head of like, Sierra, like you should be making more films. And I'm like, Oh, but I have this other thing I want to do and I need to make money. And I don't, Maybe, you know, I'm but like, again, wait, like in this wave of you, you run this podcast, cut to two years and you become the, <laughs> therapist slash support for the entire film industry and maybe that's your destiny you know what i mean like you never you never know and this making a podcast is an art form Mm -hmm. this is a creative outlet you know like you you are creatively involved even if it's not picking up that camera but my advice to you and anybody is to at least go try it full time if you have that job Mm -hmm. because like you can always there's no shame it doesn't matter what People back in Windsor think like I've had that where people are like, oh, you're still coming back to Windsor. It must must not be going well out there right. in L.A. And I'm just like, who cares? Yeah. I don't give a shit what you think. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if I did move back to Windsor and become a, a high school teacher for communications, yeah. like, fuck yeah, I, you I, I at least get to say, like, <laughs> I tried. And yeah. I tried really hard. And I know I know that I at least went. Next. But like when I first moved to Toronto, I didn't like it. No. When I first moved to L.A., two two and a half years in i hated it really i mean i love the weather but it's like you've just i just i went from being like oh i get to make my movies in windsor um you know i have enough people supporting me and patting me on the back saying oh i love your work i love Mm -hmm. your work but like i know in my head like i'm not on the world stage yet yeah i'm on the windsor stage and it's a good stage and there's lots of like great talent here that keeps me you know I've, i've always been inspired by by the other people here making music videos like uh like jendo yeah uh, i don't know if you saw the one with the 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 attack of the killer cat the feedbacks video that no. he did recently oh no. god my greatest it just for my taste of what i love about like like 50 sci-fi movies it's a, it's basically a radioactive cat that's the size of buildings it's attacking the band and the city and the special effects are brilliant that's my favorite windsor oh my made god, music video of all time don't have anything to do with it it's not something that i made and i can comfortably say that mm-hmm. i've always been inspired by you know, quote unquote, my local competition. I don't think local should be competition. I think local should all work together community and support each other. You know, mm-hmm. like we played the trailer for another yeah. filmmaker's movie the other day. The thing, like, I think the more you can figure out how to involve your your local scene, like I just go back to like Seattle in the late 80s and early 90s, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, a few other Allison Chains, like all is Allison Chains from Seattle. I might be wrong on that, but they 
they stuck together and played shows together and sang on each other's albums and like they created a scene mm-hmm. you know the the british invasion in the in the 60s like the more you can build a scene or, or some sort of like collective the easier it is for everybody to build up and get their get their projects out there. Yeah. yeah, and I think that is one awesome thing about the arts community here for how how small it is. Everyone knows each mm-hmm. other, and from my experience, anyways, I can say that everyone is mm-hmm. super supportive. And all these pop ups that are one business inside of another business yeah. just because they want to see people do well. And I feel like that is speaks hugely about Windsor in general. Yeah, I've uh, you know another podcast recently we talked about like uh, at one point somebody referred to me as Windsor's film boogeyman because they I meet people constantly be like hey I'd love to hire you to come work on this indie film oh well I've heard that you're difficult to work with and like da 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 and I'm like well yeah the person who told you that I was definitely difficult to work with because I dislike that person greatly <laughs> or, or we just disagree creatively mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you and I will disagree creatively right. um, so there there's some of that from my experience wasn't but then. I also think that like um, like ego is a good and a bad thing because to some degree you have to be egotistical to say I'm going to be one of the biggest filmmakers in the world mm-hmm. and I want it. that's the level that I want to play on. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm going to be famous and rich and better than everybody, yeah. but I have to believe in myself. And to some people that just comes off as pure arrogance, like belief in yourself. Mm-hmm. If somebody says, oh, you're going to try to make an independent film. And I say, no, I'm making an independent film and I'm going to make sure it's successful. I might fail, yeah. but I have to believe yeah, that I'm like, sure you, you know, do. yeah. You, you have to be your biggest fucking you fan. Ever, <laughs> you don't ever want to have a pilot that goes like, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can get this plane off the ground today. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I, I'm going to be okay in pilot school. You want the pilot that goes like, no, we're getting up in the air. We're landing no matter what weather comes our way. Like, yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's interesting. So I definitely ruffled some feathers. And then I had the attitude of people who didn't like me is fuck you, fuck off. Mm-hmm. So I definitely rub people the wrong way. So my maybe this is actually a revelation right now. I was like, I always found the music scene here. Like one band would get on the radio. Uh, this is going back 10 years or so. One band would get on the radio and other bands, oh, fuck those guys. They're sellouts. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, why don't you ask to open for them? Why don't yeah. you like buy them lunch or coffee or just ask for free advice on the phone and say, how did you do it? Who yeah. do I talk to at the radio station? Yep. You know, like what could I do? What's your opinion to better my career? It was always just, uh, and that I think mostly is rooted in jealousy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it becomes problematic. And I was just always sort of the, definitely the Windsor film scene whipping boy, but I'm fine with that. I don't really give a shit. Uh, I didn't stop me. I just kept making things and finding the people who did believe in me. Yeah. And some of those relationships is sad because we would have, you know, quote unquote, a falling out when we're 22. And these are people I haven't talked to since mm-hmm. that still very much dislike me where I'm like, man. And I think back now, like, God, I really loved what they did mm-hmm. and I love their talent and I wish we could have worked together because yeah. I'd probably be a better artist if yeah. I had them involved in my projects or learn from them. Yeah. But those opportunities over like, I'll call it foolish youth and and ego problems back then, Mm -hmm. you know, ruin that chance that, you know, I think most people as they get older and get out of high school and then college and into the real world and get settled in life, you realize, oh, not a lot of this actually matters at the end of the day. That was petty. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, a lot of those petty relationships I do wish I got. It's probably too late now and, you know. But never too late. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's never too late to to apologize and things like that. But I, I just don't know if there's a working relationship to be had. Right, right. With yeah. that being said, how do you want to be remembered? Oh man, I I hope I make some 
visual arts that people will still be watching long after I'm gone. I hope that uh, I always inspire like the next generation of, of bringing up younger filmmakers and giving them the hand up where, where maybe I didn't. I just hope that, you know, long after I'm gone, people will say, you know what? That guy tried to do some good in the art world and wasn't too big of an asshole. <laughs> That's a very Gavin yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very Gavin answer. Before I ask you our last question, mm-hmm. is there anything like haven't talked about that you want to chat about that you had a thought about? Oh, man. Uh, no, just if you're listening, curious about anything, check out my website, check out the Last Call website, find it on social media and like, it's all an indie filmmaker can hope for is that mm-hmm. a few more people discover it, like it, and then tell their friends about it. Uh, outside of that, just no prepping, prepping a new movie, prepping a new one, and uh, just working away. And anybody you know, either locally here in the Windsor area or wherever you're listening, if you want to reach out to me, if you want like more personal advice. I'm happy to do that. You can email me. You can you can give anybody on this podcast my email. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get involved in the next project we do in Windsor or wherever it might be that I'm shooting in your your city or region, like please please get involved. The, yeah. the best thing about this career is I just constantly get to meet new artists that a lot of them end up becoming my closest friends. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the greatest gift to be able to work with people you enjoy their company and you all are you really feel like you're again don't play sports, don't like sports <laughs> as, as, a, as a viewing fan. But like, I understand the camaraderie of that, that, uh, that teamwork and that sportsmanship to all work towards a common goal. Yep. And you're going to be playing at WIF. Yeah. My last call is coming back to Windsor. Don't have a date, but WIF runs, I believe it's November 1st to the 11th. Somewhere in there, we're going to be playing. And that's a, you know, that's a huge honor. I've, I've watched this film festival from the beginning one of the things that, that ruffled a lot of feathers and, and, and labeled me a, a pariah was I had protested that film festival in their early days, only out of a point of they weren't showing local films. And the previous organizer, Mark Boscario, rest in peace, uh, you know, just kind of wrote me off. And I, I had started the FU Windsor Film Festival, which stood for Filmmakers Unite. Oh uh, God, because I just wanted to draw attention that they weren't showing local movies. But honestly, Mark, right away, like within within weeks, Mark and I had... I think what was left out of the myth of what happened with F.U. Windsor was that Mark and I sat down and said, how do we work together instead of against each other? I never ran the F.U. Windsor Festival in, in subsequent years. They started the 48-hour film challenge to sort of start something to give back to the Windsor film scene. You know, I know they show in Dylan Pierce's movies here. Mm-hmm. Like they've, they've, they've gone on to show Kyle Maslany's films, mm-hmm. like features. They've really gotten involved and embraced it. And the festival just keeps growing and growing and growing. They do like crazy good numbers. And like Windsor should be super proud of it. I'm proud of it. Um, although people think I like, oh, I hate the Windsor Film Festival. I've been a supporter since that second mm-hmm. year, since we resolved everything. Yep. And um, nobody wants to be judged by their foolish youth when they were 23, nope. 25 and the Hell dumb no. things they said and did. Mm-hmm. Ask politicians, ask that poor guy who's just hired and fired from Saturday Night Live immediately. Yep. Mm-hmm. Ask all these comedians like Kevin Hart and losing the Oscar job. Um, so, no, I just, I, I think uh, if I'm going to bring a film to WIF for the first time, I'm super proud that it's Last Call. And the movie couldn't be more Windsor if it tried. It's uh, unabashedly Windsor in terms of <laughs> locations and everything. Uh, and it's it's going to be fun. I can't wait to really – I've sort of shied away from even really attending the film festival and feeling – the same way where I'm like, oh, people think I don't like them. I was like, oh, I'm just going to stay out of their way. And if mm-hmm. I show up, maybe I'm causing problems. So 
I've, I've almost I've sort of silently supported from afar, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm excited to go and check it out because I mean, part of it is I haven't lived here for yeah. several <laughs> years now and it always happens when I'm, when I'm not home, mm-hmm. but no, I'm really, really excited. And I think there were enough people that couldn't see the movie. I know people constantly asking, like, people you know, have asked me as where well. do I see it? Where do I mm-hmm. see it? And I said, go see with, give, you know, support them, give them your money, buy a ticket. And like, now it's my goal to, to sell out their screenings yeah. and like make it a success story for with of their, any film festival, they're kind enough to invite us. I want to I want to do everything we can to grassroots promote it, promote it. I don't believe in being an artist and having the feel of the dreams mentality of like, well, it's good. It's someone else's job to promote it. It's like yeah. you got to go to the festival. You got to talk There's to more everybody. more work to do. <laughs> you got to you got to get butts and seats. That's mm-hmm. part of your job as a filmmaker, like it or not. Yeah. Oh well, it's gonna be a full circle moment. <laughs> I didn't yeah, even yeah, know. Yeah. I didn't know about the FU Windsor thing. So that is that. Ooh. That oh yeah, off, a, off air I'll show you. I'll show you an old video. You'll get, you'll get a kick out of it. But but you'll see exactly what kind of shit disturber I was and why people could be easily pissed off at me. All right, one more question. Sure. This is a new question that I've been starting to ask people because okay. it's just a fun one. If your life was a photograph, huh. what would it look like? Oh wow. My goal is to find an artist that sketches these at the end of every podcast. Oh wow. <laughs> you know, we can probably dreams, find that dreams, person. dreams. <laughs> I think it's me in clutter, paperwork I'm putting off, piles of scripts I haven't shot or finished yet, camera gear all around, but I'm somewhere like lying on the floor like a little kid with my legs up and my hands on my chin, looking at a TV and the glow of that TV on me, and I'm just happy as shit watching a movie, the thing that got me into any of this, just being a fan, while sometimes often my life and my projects are chaos around me. I love it. <laughs> Fuck. That's Get that so sketch. Good. I want that on my wall. I want to blow that up We're as a 16 by 20. Yeah. <laughs> Windsor artist that I know, Jeff Denemy. I'm going to make you listen to this podcast and uh, get involved. <laughs> Hell yeah. Calling him out. Yeah. We did it. All right. Nailed it. Podcast complete. All right. And that completes another episode on the Lemon Soul podcast. If I'm going to be my authentic self, which I always try to be with you guys, I got to tell you, I was pretty nervous sitting down with Gavin. He has accomplished a shit ton and he has been an endless inspiration and support of my own dreams and my uh, passion project career as a filmmaker and he's always pushing me to keep creating Um, I just deeply look up to him and and what he's done and what he continues to do for the Windsor Arts community. And I hope to see all of you at WIF um, at the beginning of November to maybe come check out Last Call.